0: Hello and welcome to Studio Sessions, the Big Red and Shiny podcast where we talk with artists about the ideas, inspiration, and processes that go into their work. I'm your host Matt Kuhlman, and in this episode I'll be speaking with Kimberly Ruth. Kimberly earned a B.A. in Journalism and a B.F.A. in Photography from SUNY New Paltz in 2008, and an M.F.A. from the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston in 2012. She creates projects that seek to expose the process behind things, and this theme takes shape in many different ways. In one piece, she has a couple reenact a scene from a movie in which the characters are pretending to be someone else, exposing multiple levels of artifice within a single moment. In another, she creates a piece using footage of immigrant farm workers. In addition to exposing the source of our food, she also reveals information about the company that produced the footage she found, which sells for thousands of dollars per segment. Join me as Kimberly describes the topics her work involves, and explains what she hopes her pieces bring to light. Hi Kimberly, how you doing?
1: Good, how are you?
0: Good, thanks for being here and yeah, meeting with me. For,
1: thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so we're here to talk about your work, but do you want to um, give some of your background? and?
1: For sure Uh, Yeah, totally So I went to undergrad in upstate New York uh, SUNY school, SUNY New Colts Uh, While there I studied photography, so I got two degrees. I got a degree in photography and a degree in journalism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I didn't like the journalism field too much. I like, worked for a newspaper and they had me do like ridiculous kind of assignments, yeah. such as like photographing people in bars. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: I've obviously done the journalism school thing, too. Yeah. And oh, did you? It's it's unpleasant, like, if that's not what you're really into, yeah, like, having you know, to do the newspaper thing. For sure. I, like, gravitated
1: <laughs> toward towards like the literary journalism field, which is much more creative and allowed for... You know, uh, subjective opinions, I guess. Subjective opinions, mm. I guess. They, they uh, put
0: you on like a business story or something. You're like, I have no interest in yeah, this. Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. It was like high school track meets <laughs> and stuff. I'm like, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, so I decided to go on to grad school uh, for art to kind of, you know, build on that. I definitely enjoyed my photography um,
2: <clears throat>
1: background a little bit more, or education a little bit more. Uh, and then I went to the museum school here. And when I got there, I was totally lost. <laughs> I had no clue what I wanted to do. You know, I knew that I enjoyed photography. I just kind of realized I didn't want to do journalism, which I thought was, you know, what I had planned for myself. But at age 20, you don't really know too much.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so I got to museum school and I'm sure you know a little bit about the school. It's very interdisciplinary. and they yeah, It's
0: very conceptual. Did you have any conceptual background at all before yeah that? in
1: in photography okay. in photography yeah it was very conceptual it wasn't technical at all which a lot of people at New Paltz kind of criticized the photo department for um mm-hmm. so it was very much idea based um and so I came to the museum school and like I said there was like no structure we could choose what classes we want to take you take like a basic sculpture class if you wanted to. Uh, so I got there and was totally overwhelmed. I had no clue what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. Um, I knew that I wanted to try something other than photo because I was doing photo for four years. I didn't think I needed to take too much. And then I realized I need to take more theory-based photo classes. So then the last semester, you know, I stocked up on um, theory-based photo classes. and yeah so while when I first got to the museum school, I was like, Oh, you know, let me try painting so then I spent like the first year learning trying trying to learn how to paint um, and I liked it you know, I progressed in some sense, but what I guess the reason I didn't want to continue painting was because it the only thing I could do was paint yeah. you know it involves so much um I guess, discipline that you just needed to paint all the time to get yeah, better. it's
0: a focus field. You it really It really is. It. So,
1: And I'm, like, really interested in writing and research as well, and painting didn't really allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, you know, do it. I'm uh, training right now to be a yoga teacher, and one of the mottos is yoga is 90% practice and 10% theory. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let me put that motto toward, <laughs> towards yoga and for my art. You know, I really mm-hmm. do prefer the content. Um... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, for the research end, mm-hmm. I guess. So I gave up on painting and just kind of naturally f- found my way through there. You know, I kind of gave up on painting. I gave myself a little bit of a break for a while. and didn't make work too much. I did more uh, reading and just trying to figure things out. And I took one class with, um, I don't know if you know her, Carla Herrera Prats. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. She's very cool. She taught a a photo seminar, and I loved it, and that's kind of Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where I went, and I went to um, a residency with her in Mexico City, it's called SOMA, Mm -hmm. and it's based off of the Whitney Independent Study Program, so it's a lot of theory-based lectures, um, stuff like that, so I did that last summer, and now this summer I'm at, actually right now the residency started already, uh, Swing Space, on Governor's Island in the city, mm-hmm. so that's what I'm doing now, and I'm also teaching. Cool, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of long about way to yeah. <laughs> how I got where I am
2: now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that you say you gave up on journalism, but in the at least in the projects that I've seen of yours, it seems like that's kind of what holds it together is this kind it of is. documentary process of making your pieces
1: for sure, for sure. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, if you I feel like if I put enough time into stuff... it's impossible to totally give something like let something slip away. Because even though you know I worked a year on painting, and even though I don't paint anymore, there are many aspects of the painting um, practice that I still, you know, is still visible in my work. Even though it's not painting per se,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but yeah, I mean, I was practicing journalism for so long; it's just became a part of uh, me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you just mentioned the. <clears throat> The thing you did in Mexico City Mm -hmm. and there's a project here called Still Unnamed. Is is that the name of the project or is it Still Unnamed? No, that is the
1: name of the project. (laughs) (coughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is the name of the project. (coughs) Um, So uh, actually, I think it's maybe kind of interesting to say, so I'll say it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, That one of my biggest concerns once I got out of school, I mean, I think it's the same for any art student, is that Am I still going to make work once mm-hmm. I get out of school? Um, and I think that's what these residencies are kind of doing for me or giving me, like, a focal point. Because we have to... When the options are endless, like, when you get out of school and there's no one telling you, you need to... This has to be done at this time. Okay, make a work about this topic. It's kind of overwhelming,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. choices, and You're cut loose and you don't know what to do with your friends. Exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly. So I think these residencies that I do, it gives me some kind of... Um, some kind of focus. So like I said, the program in Mexico City, every year it's based on um, a certain theme, and this theme was uh, labor within artistic production. So I made a piece specifically about that. Um, What I found interesting about, so the topics at, so SOMA very much has like this postmodern belief that when talking about a work of art, the artist isn't really in discussion, it's basically like the content of the work, mm-hmm. uh, which I found super interesting, right, because I'm, you know, I come from, you know, comfortable family, comfortable background. so being critical about certain things, I felt a little bit nervous, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, or that my opinion wasn't credible enough, so that kind of release of stress was nice on my end, but mm-hmm. um, so, so, yeah, so I made a work about um labor and artistic production in this piece, and what I did, I have like a little anecdotal story if you want me to sure. if you want me to tell it. Um, so when I was in Mexico City, note. I missed the first day because mm-hmm. I was in another residency beforehand. So I missed the first day of the residency, and that was the day that they talked about safety.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I totally missed that. I came, like, the day later, and I got there, and I'm, like, a pretty trusting person. You know, I usually don't lock my car door or anything. Um, <laughs> or you don't know my car <laughs> I saw a car door. So I missed <clears throat> that whole speech. So when I got there, you know, I just started... Making friends, and you know, I was living as I would, you know, though I were in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit nervous when I got there. You know, my parents were totally against me going to this residency. Cause it's in Mexico City. You know, they were worried about my safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't bring my camera when I went there. You know, I brought only a couple of pairs of clothes, Trying to keep it as simple as possible. And then when I got there, I'm like, shit, I need my camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I had my boyfriend mail me the camera. And they mailed. He mailed it to the school, you know, because I was a little bit hesitant have it, having it mail it to the hostel. So the night that it arrived um, at the school, I brought it home with me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had like my camera bag with me, which was a big mistake because <laughs> I left school and it was nighttime. hmm right? So I was walking down the streets of Mexico City with this girl that um, that I became friends with, and we actually we got attacked on the way home. Yes. Yeah, it was really terrifying. It was like raining and we weren't thinking about you know, we were just thinking about we're wearing flip flops and there's like lots of puddles around, we weren't looking around. So we're walking down like a dark alley and some guy, you know, came out and grabbed us, like held on to her hair and it was yeah. really terrifying. What ended up happening is some uh Mexican Fruit vendor heard us like these two white girls screaming, (laughs) so he came over and started chucking, (laughs) chucking fruit at this guy. He eventually ran away, thank God. Mm -hmm. Uh, But after that, I was scared to bring my camera around. Yeah, you know, so it just kind of sat in my room, like, okay, what kind of project could I make now without, without my camera? Mm -hmm. Um, So I ended up doing was looking again because the theme of the, um, of the residency was labor and artistic production. So I just did, like, a Google search to see if I could find stock images or stock video footage of labors. and I came across the Getty's website, and I found amazing footage, but it was, like, super expensive. I'm yeah. like, this mm-hmm. is, like, thousands of dollars for footage that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to find my way around, around it so I could use this footage. They'll talk about what I want to talk about. And it became something super interesting, right? I think that, like the corporation Getty itself, they're making like I mean thousands upon thousands, like millions of dollars off of this footage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the subject matter that I was using were these like migrant workers who were making it's like less than a penny a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I compiled those footage. So on the Getty's website you could download like a super, super small version of the footage. Mm -hmm. And on the website, it says it can't sustain itself on something bigger than, like, an iPhone. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I assembled all these, like, really low-res video files and put them together, created, like, a short video that, um, you know, exposed the price of the footage from Gettys, and I displayed it on the iPhone since it was mm. the only way that I could technically do it.
0: Who pays thousands of dollars for the footage? Who like, yeah, sell it to?
1: A, yeah, I mean, like History Channel, okay. right? So, like, big name Hollywood, <laughs> um, you know, for a museum presentation. So, I would not be able to show this in a museum, mm-hmm. right? So, I'm like restricted to small audiences. <laughs> now, I'm sure even though the. the It's on my website now, so I guess I could technically get in trouble for doing that, but we'll see.
0: I mean, how do they even control it to that degree? Like, once you digitize something, isn't it kind of the cat's out of the bag in a way? You would
1: think so. I'm a little bit nervous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All it 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 would take is one person to purchase it, and they could be like, I'm going to give this stuff away. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's, it's really terrifying. You know, I don't know. I don't know, and I probably should do a little bit more research on it. Um... But I was thinking of doing, there's like the lawyers for artists thing that I might get in contact with um, with them if I want to show it elsewhere. You know, because I showed it at Open Studios at Selma and Like I said, the link is on my website. Mm-hmm. But.
0: And so the piece is all just about actual laborers? Mm-hmm.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, that. so the iPhone piece is one component to it. Um, so what I was interested in, too, is this idea of kind of who the artist is, right? Because there was the filmmaker who actually captured the footage. Now, on the Getty's website, that person remains anonymous. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not sure who the filmmaker is. Um, so I was wondering, I'm like, okay, so we have this, like, anonymous migrant worker, then we have this anonymous filmmaker, but then we have this, like, Getty big corporation who is clearly identified, and the footage, I mean, the footage itself is watermarked with Getty images, mm-hmm. right? Um so just kind of questioning who, like, who is who in this, like, uh, kind of dependent system, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, okay, so what is my position in this then, right? So I'm using this footage. I'm putting it on a website that clearly has my name on it. Um, so what I wanted to do was kind of further explore other Areas where the artist may go unnamed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did again a little bit of research, and I found this painting. I mean, there are tons of painting factories kind of all over the world, but it's like kind of centralized um, in China. And I actually
0: it, just talked to some, like one of the people I recently interviewed is uh, Chuck Cheney. I Chuck
1: Cheney. Ooh, I should write. I'll write the name down.
0: He, I think it was him or somebody else, but he was telling me that he did a piece where he purchased paintings from that place and yeah. asked them to do, like, self-portraits. But he just described it's as, like, a factory for yeah, paintings. Yeah, that's
1: exactly what it is. And it's like, <laughs> and what's interesting, too, is that, I mean, I'm kind of, maybe I'm like, critici- I am totally criticizing myself as well, right? Because in these painting factories, they're making reproductions of these masterworks, right? So if you wanted Van Gogh, they could paint. A Van Gogh in, you know, any Van Gogh. As long as you send them a JPEG of what it looks like, they can Mm -hmm. paint it in the same style. So the the painting that I had them do was um, a Courbet painting. So I don't know know if you're aware, but Courbet painted laborers in, like, the 1800s, right? Now, I've come to learn that Courbet was incredibly, incredibly conscious and worried about his fame himself. Mm -hmm. Um, So he kind of did a similar thing... In a way, I think that Getty is doing, right? Is using the image of these laborers to get noticed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was have this painting factory. It was only $112 for this, like, fabulous oil painting. When I, like... When this mm-hmm. this oil painting came, like, rolled up in, like, you know, a cardboard roll... Yeah, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it was just, like, it was amazing. I mean, I've only... You know, I tried to paint for a year, but there's no way in hell I could ever be able to paint like this. And it took them, like, three weeks. So they're, like, yeah. just churning these things out. And, you know, it's fabulous. I, have this, I had it done in the same um, same exact size as Corvée, and the painting that I had them reproduce was a portrait of him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So he's painting these portraits of laborers. So now... My idea was that by reproducing a portrait of Corbet, I'm kind of arguing in a weird way that he is a laborer, Mm -hmm. right? So so it's like this weird thing. So there's all these different definitions of a laborer that I have. So I have the actual migrant workers. I had the artists themselves. Uh, One of the discussions we had in SOMA was uh, questioning whether or not the artist... Maybe the only laborer left in society. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason they gave that was because we have the studio practice in which we make and make and make and make and make, but we don't really, what if we don't sell? We still make and make and make and make. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, so I found that super interesting. So the, just kind of redefining or trying to find alternative definitions for the laborer, I guess, is put um, this in a nutshell, if you could put it in a nutshell, because there's all these different. Mm-hmm areas to it. So it consists um, of, as of now, you know, it's still very much in progress, it consists of this video on the iPhone, the the outsourced oil painting, and then just like documents that I have um, about copyright issues and...
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to think about, like, who owns a piece, because, like, mm-hmm. on large-scale pieces, and even, like, I'm a printmaker, like, mm-hmm. there's a long tradition of the artist doesn't actually make the prints, like, he draws the plate, maybe, or, like, makes the design, but then he hands it to a shop and, like, oversees their production, which, sure. just because it's so much work, like, one person can't
1: yeah, impo- do all that, if, so. Yeah, exactly, and I'm like...
0: You need a shop system with assistance, and they don't get... Recognized Usually, like, the master printer might get his name next to a piece in the museum or something. Mm-hmm. Like, this was printed by this For sure, But rarely, printer,
1: but, right? Usually it's just yeah. the person who has the idea. Mm-hmm. There's this, um... I wish I had it
0: with me. Like, I found that it was, like, actually a foreign concept to some people. I did a museum installation at the Peabody Essex Museum here. Mm-hmm. That Michael Lynn designed this huge, like, mural that goes up this stairwell and, like... A big dis- pattern design on the floor. They hired like ten of us from the area to like help paint this thing. And he he showed up at the end to like okay it. At he, the end. He, he like right. sent an, an assistant with a design. And we and actually made the one, stuff. and it
1: was under the whole thing was uh, under it's his a, name. It's a
0: Michael Len project, but like a lot of the people I was working with are just painters. And they're like, "Yeah, I made this." Like, I want my picture next to it, and like, I want recognition for. Like, you're just, you're just a pair of hands. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's
1: so you didn't,
0: you didn't think this up. (laughs) See,
1: and I have no clue what. Like, maybe I'm kind of playing devil devil's advocate with myself, right? Because I'm super supportive of a work not. You know, of having the work speak for itself and not have the artist recognize it all. But in this piece, I'm kind of doing the complete opposite in a Mm -hmm. way. You know, I'm saying, wait a minute, who did make this work? Where is that kind of recognition? There is this... um, I got this book. It's kind of like this... Artsy take on uh, Marshall McLuhan, who is, was um, like a media theorist. He wrote like the media is the message, which basically states that it's not what the media is saying; it's that you know it's the workings of the media that's most important. Mm-hmm. But it was this like artsy take on it, and there was this one page that was really fabulous, and it was saying that before like the advent of the printing press and way back when, authors didn't even sign work. You know, yeah. they didn't. They would write these things, and it was just. What was important was the distribution of this information that, it did, again, it didn't matter who wrote it. And mm-hmm. once that happened, that's when this information became like a commodity. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't know. I don't know which mm-hmm. one. Um, Maybe it's like, again, my journalism background where I'm trying to find both sides of things. So it's hard for me to kind of pick and choose which aspect I like. So I guess what I'm doing here is kind of um, presenting both Goods and bads And you know, mm-hmm. leave it up to you What, do you, what yeah. do you think? I don't know I guess
0: in this project, what is the end result? There's like a an iPhone With a headset on the wall there Is it just a video of migrant workers And then they're presented with written information Or is it all together in the video?
1: Yeah, it's all together in the video So it kind of starts off um, Again, like, Getty does a good job They really mm-hmm. do, they kind of uh in filmmaking there's something that's called um coverage right so you take footage like you'll have a close-up shot of one scene then you'll have the actors do it again and then you'll have like uh a far away then you'll have the, the camera focused on one side then the other and the filmmakers or the you know documentarians whatever they prefer to be called for getty um they do that
0: mm-hmm. right
1: so they have close-up shots of this one action and then You know, not that they're telling these migrant workers what to do. The migrant worker probably didn't even know that they were being filmed, in all honesty. But they did have all these different angles and shots. So I, you know, this one action of this woman, um, you know, working in a rice field. It has, you know, all these beautiful shots. So I kind of created just this one scene with multiple kind of viewpoints. And then same thing with another. So it's kind of like a montage of these workers, you know, and it's not much is changing, right? The actions are still the same, but the, um, the subject themselves is changing. So I think I focused on like three workers mostly. Um, and I let that run for a little bit because aesthetically, again, they work for Getty. The images are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once, you know, once that repetition kind of becomes too much, then I start plugging in the information, right? These are watermark clips from Getty, Uh, Then over the top I'll put, for advertising uses, this footage itself is worth, like, whatever, four thousand forty six hundred dollars It's like for six seconds, right? <coughs> Which is interesting too because then we're putting value on time.
0: And the person in it got paid less than a penny. Less
1: than a penny a day. It's it's incredible. Like six second clips. It's, it boggles my mind. Like $4,600. Oh my God, if I get sued for this, I'm, I'm <laughs> in
2: a lot of trouble.
1: I'm in a lot of trouble. But yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the same clip that's six seconds for 58 seconds, it's like... The same price. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really (laughs) amazing. Commodifying time.
0: They mentioned, like actors at one point, not in this, but Mm -hmm. as far as, like, filming something, and I noticed that you had several pieces that involved actual actors, is that right? Yeah,
1: Um, that is, that is correct. What are some of those? Yeah, so, um, one of the big projects I did was called What's Inside of You, and that one consists of two videos. Now, this one was inspired... Again, I told you when I was in journalism, I was very much inspired by the literary journalists. Mm -hmm. So from there, I kind of, you know, preferred literature and then fiction and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So while in school, I was introduced to Raymond Carver. Uh, Now, he is known for his, like, very short, minimal style. And... He's like my hero. <laughs> he's one of my heroes. I love him. Um, but he's mostly a short story writer. He does write some like novels and whatnot. But what's interesting is I think it was two, actually maybe it was later. I'm not sure of the exact year. I don't want to, you know, it could have been could have been 1990 something or 2000s. Mm. But it came at, his relationship with his editor came out. <laughs> so he was famed for this really minimal style. He could he some of his sentences would have like three words each, you know, mm. really really sparse. And it came out again I think it came out in a New Yorker essay that's where uh the public was kind of informed that his editor a man named Gordon Lish had a serious hand in that.
2: Yeah. So
1: mm-hmm. some stories that Carver wrote would be 17 pages long and after Gordon Lish Got it It would be seven pages long mm-hmm. Right So he would chop That's pretty them. big influence <laughs> Huge Huge Um And towards the end of their relationship Carver actually wrote to him He's like I thank you for everything I love you like a father Like a brother You're amazing But these aren't my stories anymore You know I've had people read my length And now if they see this length published They'll know that it's not mine And Gordon Lynch kind of cut him off after that Um He like In one In one of his letters uh Carver begged to stop the production. He's like, This isn't my story. I can't do this. You changed seven out of the nine endings of my story. This is a big problem. But what's interesting is that without Lish's hand at all, he never would have been famous. Yeah. Right? So, again, this idea of like fame, it's like, I don't know. I didn't even realize that kind of theme until we're talking about it now. Mm -hmm. Um, But. So what ended up happening is their relationship, you know, Gordon is like, all right, whatever. I actually prefer Gordon's hand, which is, <laughs> which I hate to say. But anyway, so what I did for this piece was um, I made two videos. One, which is, like, really long. It's, like, well, it's long for a video, mm-hmm. right, it's in a gallery setting for, it's, like, 12 minutes, I'd say. And I didn't have any benches, so it was... Um, yep, You know, an uncomfortable right, situation sure. So I made a strict film adaptation Of his one story called Gazebo Now the, the story is It was on over a 24 hour period It's basically about a couple's last night together So the couple, they manage um, One motel of like a suite You know, a suite of motel mm. Hold on, let me rephrase that So the couple manages One Motel out of a chain okay. okay And the husband cheated on The wife with one of the hotel maids So basically the film um, Is basically an argument Okay so it's like this repeating Repeating thing of You know when you get an argument you get totally sucked in And you forget about time and space And you just keep repeating yourself and repeating yourself <laughs> And you don't get anywhere uh, So that's kind of what it is So it's, it's kind of difficult to watch mm. um, And so that is one of the two channel videos, okay? And it's, again... These are playing, oh like, simultaneously. Minutes. Yeah. So the insulin... I know you guys can't see it, mm-hmm. but um, what I did was I constructed two rooms. So I think they're 18 feet by 16 feet, um, and in one room... And they're right next to each other, right? The only thing that's separating them is a small hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one side, I had the really long version that's difficult to watch, there's a lot of silences in it, so I basically took Carver, like the dialogue in Carver's um, Carver's film, and you know, put it in, put it in my film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and in the other, in the other room, I had a version that I titled Lish. Okay, so then I basically made it was really short. It was like six minutes or so, and then I cut up the footage and put really harsh, um, harsh edits, mm-hmm. and I kind of exposed. The creation of the film right? So I wrote I had like f- scenes with footnotes That actually showed the, the letters Between Raymond and Carver mm-hmm. So my argument was that Lish was more Concerned with language And writing and Carver was more concerned With like the stories and feeling characters mm-hmm. um, So I took this like I guess like post-structuralist look With Lish exposing Again like the language, the fact that it was A story, how it was made and Get really harsh cuts yeah. So, yeah so one version is Lish's version And the other one is Carver's yeah. version
0: um, Is there a, Like inform- informational presentation Of some type So that people know that Or are they, do you just leave it up to them To figure it out
1: No so it was all in an artist statement okay. Pretty much Yeah because without it It would be difficult It would be mm. difficult I had framed um, Some of the letters From the original New Yorker And mm. Yeah
0: Yeah it's surprising that an editor would have that much control over somebody's work like I mean having worked with editors myself like I find the best ones are the ones that help me figure out how to present what I want but Mm -hmm. to like to change the beginning or ending of a story or something that's like you're not it's, it's not your work anymore <laughs> it's
1: severe it's super severe um in one of the articles i read they called lish's ventriloquist
2: <laughs> which i thought was really
1: interesting um it's good but at the same time i mean i'm all about collaboration right and it's whatever that good the end product is again right we're coming back to like the same issues so I don't know. I mean, I think that the stories are better with Lish's hand. So who, how the story actually came to be created, does it matter? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> so would, it, would we, like, as a society and as readers, as fans of Carver, does it matter if we know what Lish's hand was? If the stories are, the, like, as powerful guess, as they are? In a weird way, no, right? But I don't know. I don't know. Again, I like... This leaves like,
0: you wondering why you don't like the Carver's work without Lish, you're like oh, I know I used to I like this bad. stuff and now I got bad. <laughs>
1: I feel I feel really bad. In one interview, oh my god, I forget the um hopefully it comes to me before you finish this interview, but there's this one Midwest writer who basically bashed Lish. He's like he changed his stories. Of course they were better without him but I don't know. I prefer the minimalist style. <laughs>
0: There was one other one called It Happened One Night. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Um, Yeah. um, That's a real movie. It's a famous movie, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was, um, was it like 50s or 60s, I want to say? Yeah, so for that one, again, that one I worked with. uh, So for What's Inside of You, this gazebo adaptation, um, I worked with, you know, Real actors from Boston And they were amazing I don't think I could have done the projects without them mm-hmm. um, We had like Book club meetings Because again in Carver's stories So much is left out So it's really up to us to kind of fill in the blanks uh, So we had like book club readings To try to figure out what Carver was actually trying to say What our interpretation would be For the film um, But for It happened one night Also um, I used actors Mm-hmm. And what I did for this piece was we chose one scene that I thought was kind of the uh, that was most important to me in, to my interpretation. It definitely wasn't the most important scene in the film,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but it was kind of the most telling for me, I guess. Was so again, it was like one couple, and she came from like a very rich area, and he was a journalist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, she came from a rich family and he, I believe saw her running or, um, trying to escape on a bus and he's like, Oh, I need to, you know, befriend her and get this story. Mm -hmm. So they did, they ended up like falling in love, etc. But during their, they were kind of like, you know, she was running away and he was following her and they ended up staying in a hotel together. It's an interesting kind of correlation to my other piece, too. Hotels. Uh, Hotels, couples, fighting. (laughs) Um, So in the scene that I chose, the couple was in a hotel, and a bunch of police officers came to the door looking for her, right, because her parents or her father was, like, freaking out. Where's my daughter? Mm -hmm. Um, So the cops knock on the door, and what they do is they pretend to be, like, a lower-class family or lower class couple um, just having an argument so that the police feel uncomfortable when they leave so they put on, you know, they perform this argument um, and then the cops leave and then they laugh okay, so it's, so what I wanted to do is like expose this acting process right, and expose the um, heighten the awareness, I guess, of acting, because they get really intense, into like an intense argument, and then the cops leave mm-hmm. you know. And then they smile So what we did for this is We enacted it They reenacted it And reenacted it And reenacted it So I think we have like Seven or eight different versions And they tried to keep it the same But naturally because we're humans Mm -hmm. There are variances Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's basically what it is I did another project too Where I'm kind of interested in those Subtle, minute changes Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this is all just to expose the the acting process and the artistic process of what it came to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the projects where you explore like subtle changes through yep. different versions? The
1: other one is Sex, size, and Videotape. Okay. Yep, so this one again is based off of um, a popular film from the 1980s. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's.
0: Uh, I don't think I have.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. I definitely mm-hmm. suggest it. Um... <clears throat> So it's a fabulous story. The acting, I think, on purpose is very dry and, again, very minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it is me and my boyfriend, we reenacted this, this one skit, or one scene, I'm sorry, and the scene in the movie actually takes place over videotapes. Okay. So it exists as like a male character watching his wife talk to someone else on the screen, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's all about sex, like what turns people on, etc. So by doing this in kind of a dry, monotonous tone and reenacting it again and again and again to try to, you know, get some sense of emotion or not mm-hmm. from um, from the audience. <clears throat> Yeah, this was like an earlier work. I haven't even thought about this one. In yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> so it's kind
0: of a precursor to the other works yeah. that you did.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I wanna say again that this this is still all kinda new to me, right? Mm. Because only three years ago I was still in this weird paint I wanna be a painter. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> um kind of state. So I'm still figuring out my process. Mm. still and I I know I will for, you know, forever. Mm. Uh, but Sex Lies and video tape is an excellent, excellent movie. Yeah.
0: I suggest watching it, yeah, for So sure. <laughs> I saw there was one project you had called Missed Encounters, and that was another kind of documentary piece that you did. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't clear what, whether you approached the people on Craigslist or if you were just talking about somebody who else who did that.
1: Yeah, okay, so it was me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is actually my most... Well, the still unnamed is still in progress, but this is my most recent finished project. This was in the Slowness Show um, mm-hmm. at Howard Art Project. And so what I did for this one is I solicited people on Craigslist to tell me stories.
2: Okay, and that was like,
1: basically, the post was as basic as that. It's just like, I'm looking for people to tell me stories, tell them something about themselves. And I got... Incredible responses, like people who just wanted to talk. Like I didn't think I was going to get anything. You know, yeah. it was just kind of <laughs> what can I do? I was in you know kind of writer's block. I couldn't. Most of my, almost all my projects begin with with writing of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm super into poetry, and there's like an instant gratification to poetry that you know I could sit mm-hmm. down at a table, 15 minutes later, at least have something. Yeah. Um, so most of my stuff starts from poems. But I just wrote this um, post on Craigslist, and what I got was it was amazing just people who wanted someone to talk to yeah. like oh what do you what do you want to know and I'm just like anything and I probably sound like a total creep right? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like tell me something about yourself and they're, right, they're like oh what do you want to know <laughs>
2: They're like no
1: just, just talk just talk and this one guy he was blind I mean and I, at first I'm like you're not blind how are you writing to me <laughs> how are you doing this right now he's like no I have a voice recognition program yeah. like oh that makes sense so then I was like, do you have any pictures of yourself, you know, so I could get a sense of what you look like etc." center? And turns out he's, like, 50-something-year-old guy living, I forget where he lives, I think, like, out west or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we built this kind of crazy relationship, you know? He would wake <laughs> up in the morning and be like, hi, Kimberly, how's your day going? I'm like, oh, wonderful, how are
0: you?
1: <laughs> how are you doing? But it was, you know, it was... We built, like, this beautiful online relationship. And, again, just everything was, like, super platonic. Nothing, mm-hmm. you know, on my end, anyway. <laughs> everything <laughs> was super platonic. And, you know, I listened. He just spoke about, you know, he was born blind. And, you know, he was talking about his dog. And it was really interesting to hear about the voice recognition program, too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I built that relationship with him. And then this young girl from... I think it was Salem actually I think she's like From right around here Mm -hmm. uh, Who had an eating disorder And she just wanted You know To let people know How awful it is And again Just people telling There's this other girl Who had uh, Was born with like a Um overhung jaw, I think, or what is that called when you're An underbite. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And she said that she's, like, embarrassed to leave the house. She has one friend and, Mm -hmm. you know, so I was basically there just to, like, talk with people. But again, then I started feeling, like, guilty. I'm like, okay, here I am. I want to put them in a work of art, but It was, you know, so I felt, like, Mm -hmm. guilty about it. I don't want to, like, exploit them in any way. Um, Were
0: were they aware that this could be made public? Yeah, oh,
1: and I told them, and I made them sign releases, too. I'm like, so, you -hmm. know, I do want to, and I put it in the post, too. I'm like, I'm looking for people to tell me stories. I'm an artist and a writer, you know, from Mm -hmm. Boston. And they, you know, again, they were willing, they were like, they sent me pictures of themselves and etc. And it ended up being, you know, a wonderful project. I'm still in touch with, you know, in touch with the blind guy and, the, you know, the other young girl. Uh, mm-hmm. The other ones are just kind of, like, lost connection. Once I finished the video, I sent them the work, and they were, you know, pretty mm-hmm. excited about it. But I felt bad. I'm like, okay, these people want to talk to someone, anyone, to tell them their story. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I just felt a little bit guilty, I guess. So then I put my guilt in kind of in the piece as well, you know, trying to be totally honest that these people want to tell these stories, all I have are words and images to do so, it's impossible, Mm. right? So Um, all the
0: images that you have were just things that they sent you and made available? Most of them, most
1: (laughs) of them. Um, Yeah, most of them sent me, and then a couple of images, like the one we have pulled up on the computer here right now is... um, photographs that I took of people, like, walking on the streets and mm-hmm. et cetera.
0: That was funny. This looks like a guy I used to work with. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't happen to talk to someone from Kansas, did you? Nope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the piece ended up being, again, kind of, like, exposing this artistic process of photography, of the written word, and my frustrations with it, in mm. a way. Like, there are these really heartfelt stories that people want to tell. Maybe it's just my... <clears throat> inability to tell stories well or something that I was was I couldn't do it without including myself in what I was doing within the piece mm-hmm. maybe hopefully eventually I could get there um and just totally remove myself from the discussion at all but for now I'm still relying on it maybe because it's all I know and mm. you know, maybe I'm too young to be able to
0: <laughs>
1: down but
0: this project <laughs> reminds me like just before you came over I was on Craigslist and looking through like The creative gigs and somebody had made a post Like, I'll pay $3 To the first person who can Send me a drawing of themselves As a child injured in the woods <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and I was, and like, I was going to say, oh you <laughs> probably Can respond to one of
1: mine <laughs> I've like, like
0: bizarre Craigslist requests. Yeah, I, I
1: actually love using, I've used Craigslist Almost for I'd say a majority of my projects um, I didn't for the Raymond Carver and Gordon One, I use professional actors. But other than that, I found everyone on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm becoming more interested in using non-actors as actors. I think, um, again, I'm in residency um, on Governor's Island right now, and I'm still a little bit overwhelmed about having to start a new project, but I'm still in, like, the very beginning workings of it. I think that's what I'm going to do is put a call out to people who want to... Who want to act and want to be in a movie, but they're not professionally trained, mm-hmm. right? And kind of um, expose that to that desire to to want to be. I was just what was it? Oh, I was listening to an NPR um, show. Do you watch, listen to this American Life at all? Uh, sometimes. Yeah, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But there's this one episode on last week or the week before about reruns, and there's this one filmmaker and. Unfortunately, the film isn't in distribution, but what happened was this one guy in, like, the 70s was, like, when uh, handheld video cameras first became public and more people were having them in that household. Mm -hmm. Um, He was interested in people who wanted to be a movie star, right? And even though they weren't. So he he went around, he... Ended up finding this one kid who was taking pictures And this kid was like so excited He's like oh my god am I going to be in a movie Am I going to be on TV And the the guy was like no I'm just kind of filming But he ended up being so fascinated with this kid That he used him and his story to create this one film And it basically was him approaching this kid in the parking lot And this kid being so excited about Mm -hmm. being on TV And then that was it (laughs) And then he went and then he filmed that scene with another actor again and then a different actor. And it ended up being Sean Penn. Like, totally. These people ended up becoming, like, super famous. But it wasn't until years later, you That's know? Funny. Yeah, so it was the same film that was being made, like, six or seven times. Again, the same film over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, and I forget who else. It was someone from. Um, Back to the Future or some I forget. That may have even been made before. Yeah. <laughs> but, um...
0: Michael J. Fox. <laughs> no, it
1: wasn't, wasn't him. I would have remembered him. Mm-hmm. But it was super interesting. So they filmed, I think it was three of them. They filmed the or screened uh, three of the films at Sundance in, like, 2000.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: then the kid that was he originally filmed in the 70s showed up, and he was a movie star for, like, a day.
0: It's so cold. They're like, oh, are
1: you an actor? And he's like, no. That <laughs> really, but he was, like, the most famous person in the room. It was kind of fabulous. So you
0: just happened to run into somebody that became a famous actor. Parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Sean Penn.
1: What? Yeah, he actually auditioned Sean Penn for this movie like before he was famous. It's pretty amazing.
0: So you said that it's still unnamed. Is that, like, not quite finished? It's not say?
1: finished yet, and I don't know why. Yeah. You know, I don't <laughs> what know. What else
0: would you add to it? Like,
1: That's a great question. Just a
0: presentation? Or no, to I feel the like video, it's so. still
1: missing something. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's still missing something. Something that I kind of discovered recently was, again, I mean, on Getty, there's, like, hundreds of pages when you plug in, like, laborer. You could get like hundreds of different video clips So I'm still doing like research on there But what I found kind of fascinating That I might want to do something with Is there's recreation of laborers From mm-hmm. like Rome in It's like Rome 6th century And then there's like HD video like, footage Of people anything. like chopping it around right. I guess
0: they need a lot of stuff like that For a history channel They do that stuff yeah, exa- all the time It exa- shows them like building the pyramids so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly
1: So I'm kind of fascinated in that I'm like Wondering if maybe I should apply for a grant so that I can get, like, access to the full HD and project that kind of bigger. Or I might hire actors to, you know, to reenact this again and then again and again. Mm -hmm. Something. I don't know. I feel like there's something there that I may want to do. But I don't know why I don't think it's totally finished yet. You know, maybe I'll just know. But I'm not ready to give up on it yet. But I do want to work on something else as well because I get... Know, a little bit antsy if I'm working on something for so long, and then it mm. and then I'm just at a roadblock right now,
0: so you don't have any ideas for other projects beyond finishing that one right now or?
1: uh well I, so I do have um kind of a site specific project in mind for Governor's Island you know I'm just working on ideas with like the island and what the island means and escapism and isolation and stuff mm-hmm. uh, so doing research on like. Guantanamo and um, Abu Ghraib and, you know, other types of prisons, because it is really secluded on this island. It's, like, so bizarre. Like, out, I have a picture on my phone, like, what the view is of the studios. It's Manhattan, right? Yeah. And it looks amazing, but we're stuck on this little island, mm-hmm. and the only people that are allowed on the island right now are artists and then, like, a couple of high school kids who have access to the island for, like, boat training or yeah. something. <laughs> Um, and there's a lot of construction on it, so it's a really strange vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the studios are amazing. It's like an open floor plan, and you know, there's like collaboration—not really. Co- there's a lot of conversation among the artists. Uh, but again, it's like very isolated feeling. It's kind of strange. But there is a prison on Governors Island called Castle William, or a castle. <laughs> but it was originally a military prison to hold, um, you know, convicts.
0: Is that where they film, like, Shutter Island? (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't, but (laughs) I was actually looking, I was, like, researching different um,
1: island films and stuff. (laughs) There's, you know, quite a bit of them. But, so I want to do something with that, some kind of filming in the castle itself, but, like, still in such beginning stages. Mm -hmm. There were interesting, um, just, like, formal um, connections between, so, like, if you look at an island, right, it's, like, this small thing surrounded, you know, mm-hmm. obviously surrounded by water. And I was kind of interested in this idea in relation to minimalist sculpture. Especially Robert Morris is, like, one of my heroes, and he did this one sculpture that's, it's, like, a circle, and then inside it's, like, light. You know, of course, it's, like, all white. Uh, but I was finding, trying to find correlations between minimalist sculpture and this idea of, like, isolation and... I don't know. Again, it's still in very, very beginning stages, but mm. I'm a little bit overwhelmed with, like, teaching and traveling to New York on weekends, and it's,
2: yeah. a
0: little bit crazy. It's it your oh, life of an artist.
1: It is. It is. It's exciting. It's an exciting life, yeah. but it's somewhat stressful life <laughs> as well.
0: And so you got other projects that we haven't talked about. Were there any others that you wanted to um, get into before we go? Let me see about we finished with the self-portrait of Kimberly Ruth.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So this was, oh my god, this
2: is so <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. I like, I I've never seen in, this one.
1: I haven't looked in this forever. So This was actually my BFA thesis in 2008. Um, so again, I studied photography um, mm-hmm. in undergrad, and This project just, it just happened, you know, like, kind of like most of my projects now. Like, I'm doing, you know, Mount Governors Island, so I'm trying to make a project that's specific to that. When I was in Mexico, it's just, like, wherever I am, I'm trying, again, to, like, block out choices. I need to just, like, make a decision. So, the first picture I took, I was... um, on a road trip with my ex-boyfriend and I was just, like, taking pictures of him in bed and he had to, like, go to the bathroom and I was just, like, playing with the, um, you know, the lighting and the different focusing. And then I looked at the picture, And it was beautiful. Like, it was, like, super abstract, and, you know, it kind of left an imprint of my boyfriend's body on the bed, and it just became something really incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what I did for this project was just document my bed every morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it became, like, a self-documentation. It, you know, very much talks about photography as a medium. Um, So I'm getting into, like, the history of photography a little (laughs) bit. But what... um, was argued that made photography so special and different from other meaning other mediums was that it was indexical so it's like an exact imprint of something so what I wanted to do was kind of replicate that and you know show that my body was an exact or the sheets were an exact um footprint almost of um of my body. So, in a similar way that Raymond Carver, right, is like super minimal and you know these characters through what isn't there, I'm kind of doing something similar here by, you know, doing a self portrait of what my body left behind or its imprints mm-hmm. without me. Um,
0: it's a very temporary trace of you because once you make the bed, it's gone. Right? It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's also very process exposing early piece, I guess, mm-hmm. where it's something you do on a daily basis over and over. So it exposes the process of documenting, I suppose.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I'm trying, again, like, I would love to be able to just make work about these, like, really important issues. Because, I mean, art is not one of the most important issues in the world, right? (laughs) So I'd love to be able to talk about these issues and not, but I just keep coming back to it. Because it's who I am, Mm -hmm. you know? So even though I would love to talk about, like, Guantanamo and all these issues related to that, I can't do so without putting my kind of... Myself in it. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe it's just impossible. I think I've tried before and it ended up in, like, really bad art. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, it's weird looking at these images now. It makes me kind of want to revisit. So... Again, it was like three hundred and six. I had like an archive of... It was a full
0: year. Images.
1: Yep, exactly, so it was wow. a full year. And then I tried for a while writing in my journal every day too, and then juxtaposing um, some of the journal entries with uh, some of the beds, which was really interesting. Then it just got like super time-consuming writing every night so i mean overall i kept up with it but there are like chunks of days where you know yeah. i didn't get to the writing you don't
0: always have time to write something it takes, just, takes some dedication yeah it does
1: <laughs> it takes so much dedication and there's so many things i want to do <laughs> in a day even there's, just
0: like handwriting a paragraph like we're so used to typing now like it really takes a while to like handwrite yeah stuff. it
1: does it does <laughs> it's it's actually what I ended up doing for the final presentation of this was including some of the text underneath and then I took out big chunks so you would have only like certain words um like I forget oh my god I haven't even thought about this piece in a while what's an example um I forget I forget I could email you some of the
2: um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Some of the entries I put But again just like removing chunks And leaving certain things And mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, i trying to think if there's anything else To say about this one I'd like to revisit it now that I'm mm. looking at it
0: yeah, I'm about out of questions for you Unless you had something you wanted to follow up with
1: Yeah I don't think so mm. I don't think so oh. Cool yeah. Great. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Let's we'll see your work around in the nice future. Evening. I hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope so. Unless I get sued. <laughs> Bye Hopefully again. that
2: doesn't happen. <laughs>
0: This concludes this episode of Studio Sessions with our guest Kimberly Ruth. You can find her work online at KimberlyRuth.com. You can also learn more about me at my website, MattCoolman.com. If you'd like to support this program, you can send a donation through PayPal to Studio Sessions Podcast at gmail.com. Even if you only send $1, your donation helps guarantee I can continue providing interviews with interesting artists for your listening pleasure. And of course, don't forget to visit BigRedAndShiny.com for future episodes, along with other high-quality arts and culture content. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on Studio Sessions.